When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another episode of Everyday Endorphins, a mental health podcast focused on the importance of finding joy and happiness in daily living. I'm your host, Stella Stephanopoulos, and this week I am honored to have human behavioral specialist and human design expert coach Emma Dunwoody on the podcast. Growing up, I've always been really interested in personality tests. Part of my major in school was in psychology, so I've always been really fascinated with how the mind works and what drives human behavior and how that varies person to person. Astrology has been really interesting to me. It's not something that I follow closely, but I'm a Virgo and I feel like I definitely align with a lot of Virgo tendencies and have also kind of developed interest in other spiritual practices and theories like numerology and others that kind of fall under that realm. And so it was only fitting to expand my research and interest into learning more about human design and how human design can be another way to better understand yourself and learn how to take aligned action in your life so that you can really lead the most authentic version of your life that you can. So I'm thrilled to have Emma on the show here today to talk a lot about how you can use human design as a way for greater self-inquiry. Emma has her own podcast called The Human Design Podcast, which focuses on spirituality. She also is an author and the founder of Transformational Human Design. We cover a lot of ground in this episode, but you can expect to learn more about the foundations of human design, a breakdown of each profile and archetype. We also dive into my own unique profile, which is kind of a fun little exercise for me personally. We also talk about how you can understand your energetic blueprint using human design, what it means to live in alignment and express your authentic self, ways to release resistance, and learning how to tap into flow state in order to really manifest what you desire, how to build greater trust within yourself, and learning how to let your intuition guide you in your decisions. And lastly, we end with hearing Emma's perspective on health and happiness and how she finds endorphins every day. Before we dive into the interview, make sure to like and subscribe to this show on whichever listening platforms you prefer. And for anyone based in New York City, next Saturday, January 20th, I'm moderating a panel discussion around reaching your potential, cultivating community, and maximizing your creativity with the founder of Absence of Proof, which is a non-alcoholic events company, the founder of Drinks First, which is a dating podcast and events company, and the co-founder of Earshot, which is a creative arts collective space. Space in Soho. There will be non-alcoholic beverages, so perfect for dry January, and some other cool sponsors and snacks, so whoever is in town and would like to come, I would love to see you there. Information is posted on my Instagram account. The link to get tickets to sign up is also there and in my Instagram bio, so please grab a ticket if you're interested in coming. Would love to see you and have you be a part of the day. Also, shout out to the founders of Absence of Proof and Drinks First, Elizabeth Gascoigne and Ariana Nathani. 
They were actually both guests on my podcast, and I am super excited to get to moderate an in-person discussion with the two of them. Hi, Emma. Thank you so much for coming on to Everyday Endorphins. Hey, it's so lovely to be here. I'm super excited to chat to you. I think the beauty of doing podcasts is that you can really interview anyone anywhere in the world. And I'm currently in New York. You're in Australia. I just discovered that we're traveling through time. It's a Tuesday for me, a Wednesday morning for you. So I'm just super thrilled that we could make this work. And today we're here to talk about human design, which is something that I am personally really fascinated by and I don't know much about. And I think many people who are interested in spirituality and holistic wellness and personal growth look for answers whether it be through something like astrology or of the likes and one of them i believe is this theory around human design so i'd love for you to start off by describing in a nutshell what human design is and really breaking it down for my listeners who maybe don't have a clear understanding of what this practice can teach them. Human design is actually a synthesis of ancient wisdom and modern science. So it's made up of astrology, Western astrology, the I Ching, which is the Chinese book of changes. It's also made up of the chakra system and the Kabbalah tree of life. Now, it also works with quantum physics. It also works with fractals. And what human design really is, I love to, to describe it as it's your playbook. So if we're all in this game of life, it's your specific playbook. Now, all of us have actually been taught that there is one playbook, or maybe there's a playbook for the country we live in, or maybe there's a playbook for the gender that we have. But overall, we have these playbooks that we have to live our life by. Whereas human design says, no, we throw everything else out and we say, this is the way we're actually designed to live our life. Now, for me personally, I came to human design after, you know, I'm a certified master coach. I'm a profiler. So I use a number of different profiling tools And all of these profiling tools, and that could be something like Enneagram's really big at the moment or Myers-Briggs or DISC profiling. And these are really powerful tools to help us understand ourselves. Like Socrates said, know thyself. This is the most important thing we can be doing, especially now in this time of chaos. Human design gives us so much more insight than these other tools that we've been using over the last few decades or however long we've been using them. Human design actually gives us our energetic blueprint. It helps us understand how our energy is designed to move through the world, how the universe kind of speaks to us and guides us, what our internal guidance system is specifically for us. And it actually gives us that ultimate permission slip to say, right, well, this is my purpose. This is who I'm going to be in relationships. This is my superpower. These are my challenges. These are the things that I might be afraid of that are stopping me. And it really gives us that opportunity to dive super deep into the specificities of the energy that lies within us so that we can then clear up, heal, transform anything that doesn't serve us so that we can lean into our greatest potential and express that out in the world. Because let's be honest, planet Earth needs all of our greatness right now. Yeah, that's very fascinating to describe it as something that is looking at your energetic blueprint. I'm sure you're familiar with Joe Dispenza, and he talks a lot about how our thoughts and our beliefs will then inform our actions. And it all has to do with 
the energy that we create within us and then reflect out onto the world and somehow that comes back towards us. So when we think about this concept of our own energetic blueprint, how can we use the principles or teachings of human design to create a life through which we are putting out an energy that we want to come back and be received by ourselves too? Yeah, I love that. So the first thing I want to say is just really responding to Joe Dispenza piece. Like his work was really pivotal in my own healing journey. I healed my my mental health. I was doing depression and panic disorder for a really long time. And I was one of those people who considered taking my life for, for many, many years because I could not perceive a world where I had to live with this. I had to heal it. And his work was really, really pivotal with me helping to do exactly that and to heal my mental health. And I mean, I'm lucky to say, and I'm not lucky, I'm grateful to say that, you know, I've lived many years without any mental health challenges. You know, I've got really great mental health now. And it is a lot to do with the fact that I've reconditioned my brain. I've changed my behavior. Now, when we talk about it through the frame of Joe Dispenza and many other people who are teaching mindset work, let's say, we have to kind of make a guess at the sort of beliefs that each person might be coming up against. Now, our brain actually needs more specificity than that. Our brain needs the wording that we construct that belief with to change that belief. And with human design, what it does is instead of going, well, I might have this governing belief that I am not enough, we can dive into the nuance of your specific design and say, okay, well, this not enough theme, where could that be? And we could be like, oh, wow, look, it's, it sits, the fear of not being enough sits in the gate 48. This is the shadow. This is the higher expression of it. So now I can actually see what's really going on and find that like the root cause of that belief. And I can give myself a better belief. I can create something that's more empowering for me. And and this is actually something that I've integrated into a thing that I call transformational human design. It's my model where we're putting all of that mindset stuff. We're doing all the transformational methods and coaching together with human design and the gene keys, which is creating much faster transformation. But a way that we can all really understand our energy and how our human design can support us in everyday life is just starting at the beginning. And if we start at the beginning, we want to understand how our energy is being projected out into the world, how it's being received, how we're influencing others, and to understand how we're being influenced. I think in the spiritual world, we talk a lot about needing energetic protection. And I don't actually, I guess on some level, depending on what frequency we're at, yes, there is truth to that. However, What we actually want to do is we want to understand what is ours and what is someone else's. And when we start to understand our human design and we can be like, wow, I'm just amplifying other people's energy, that means that we can allow it to move through us and it doesn't affect us. We don't hold on to it. We don't tell stories about it. We don't think it's something in us that needs fixing. We just have more compassion for the people that we're around and we let that energy flow through us. So we can really use our human design in so many ways, but ultimately it's about aligning yourself to your heart, your soul, your mission, and being able to live the most authentic version of yourself. And I think a big part of achieving that alignment is through practices of non-attachment and not clinging to things. I'm reading an incredible book right now called The Antidote, Happiness for People Who Hate Positive Thinking. I might be butchering the title, but it's the author talks about this concept of pursuing the negative path to happiness and learning to actually embrace quote unquote negative emotions rather than shut them out. Because through doing that, you're not actually adopting this 
philosophy of toxic positivity or being overly optimistic. And he pulls in examples from ancient Greek philosophers and Stoicism and the Buddhist philosophers and Taoism and looking at how when we can actually de-identify from the self, we create stillness and tranquility. And in doing so, you're almost acting as if you're a third party observer or witness to the the events in your life. And therefore, you don't feel such an attachment to these things. So when we're speaking really about, again, this energetic blueprint, allowing others' energy to move through us, how does human design help to continuously practice that concept of non-attachment? Well, I think one of the big things to understand with human design and how it very, very specifically helps us practice non-attachment is that if we just simmer it down to its most simplest form, we want to understand our strategy and our authority, okay? So our strategy, simply put, is how the universe guides us and communicates with us. Our authority is our internal guidance system. And when we live in alignment with those two and we listen to them, it's the communication loop between us and our higher selves and the universe and back again. And ultimately, if we just live by our strategy and authority, that we let go of the attachment of who we need to be and what we need to do and how we need to create what we need to create, and we just listen and we just allow this to guide us, then we create a life that is way beyond what we could possibly imagine that feels incredible and it feels beautiful. And you might be someone who has been raised in a family that it's all about achievement and you are you know, hustling your butt to get through university and become a doctor or a surgeon or whatever, but really you're actually more suited to sitting in a cave and meditating all day. And if you follow your strategy and authority, then that's where it's going to take you. Whereas if you're listening to the mind and your conditioning and and you're attached to who you need to be because you think this elusive happiness belongs over there, you're missing the point because happiness is something, you know, and I studied happiness for years because of my depression. Happiness is always there. There might be a cloud in front of it, but it's always within us. It's always a choice that we make. So with human design, like simply living our life via strategy and authority. For example, yours is all about because you're a manifesting generator and you're a sacral manifesting generator. So for you, it's all about being in response and really listening to the gut. Like when that sacral says, "Uh uh-huh, I've got energy for this, then it's a yes. But if it says, "Uh uh-uh, I don't have energy for this, then you have to say no. And to live in non-attachment is to just follow that. "Uh Uh-huh, uh-uh, uh-huh, uh-uh, and respond to things external of you. You know, not living in alignment would mean that you think you should do something. So you take action from a thought that you have or something that's going on internally instead of responding to your external reality. Another way that you'd be still attached and not practicing these sort of more stoic methods would be because you think you have to take a certain path. So you override the sacral. So human design really helps us if we're willing to just do the experiment with strategy and authority, then, and it's definitely my experience that I couldn't possibly dream some of the things that I've experienced just by following my strategy and authority. The metaphor that you gave about happiness always existing there, sometimes there might just be a cloud over it, was a metaphor that was actually mentioned in the book. And I underlined it because it really rang true to me. Kind of, you know, the idea of when you're looking into the sky and the moon is there, for example, at night. Sometimes the cloud is in front of the moon, so you can't see it, but we know that the moon is always there. And so it's the same idea. Happiness, the sense of peace is within us, 
but there are sometimes obstacles in the way that can cloud that and maybe can feed thoughts into our head that going back to what you said, when we act on those thoughts, not coming from that sense of alignment, not trusting our intuition, that's when I think we can cause this inner suffering. But I want to dive more into the different types or let's say profiles for the human design. So we mentioned that I'm a manifesting generator, which I want to talk a little bit more about later because I'm personally very interested in what my human design profile says about me. But aside from manifesting generator, can you break down the different types that exist and maybe the qualities and characteristics of each? So with human design, we start with type. This is kind of like our highest level of looking at it. I always say, like, don't get overly attached to type. Like, I'm sure you're going to listen to it and people are going to resonate and be like, yeah, that sounds like me. But it's something that you have to understand. There's so much more depth to a human design chart that this is just a jumping off point. Okay. So we have five types. And the first one that I will talk to is the manifester. So the manifester, this is someone who has, it's kind of like the biggest aura, the biggest energy. That doesn't necessarily mean extroverted energy. It just means they're a person that when they walk in the room, people know they walked in the room. They're here to initiate. They're here to inspire people into action. They will often be the trailblazers, the way showers, the way finders, the seekers, because they have this energy that moves through them direct from source, like literally moves them in the direction that they need to go. And What's really important about being a manifester is you have to be unapologetically yourself. Now, a lot of them are people pleasers. A lot of them shut down their big energy. A lot of them play small because they're, as kids, they're the ones that almost don't need parenting. They're very energetically independent. They know where they're going. They're like, yeah, yeah, I'll be fine. And they always are, or most of the time are. So they learn that, oh my goodness, I need to shut that down because it makes other people feel uncomfortable. But really we want them out there because, and being unapologetically themselves because they are here to inspire all of us into action. I have so many manifestors in my life. I love them. I love their big energy. I love that they're different. I love that they stand out. And when there's a manifestor that I align with, I'm like, I'm following you. Like, what do you have to say? What are you doing? Because instantly I'm inspired and I will go and build something. A perfect example is like, Ra Uruhu, who bought in human design, was a manifester. Okay. So the next type is a generator. And if manifestors are less than 10% of the global population, generators and manifesting generators make up 70%. Okay. Now, generators are actually here generating the life force for the planet. Okay. These are the people that are here to build something, to do the work they love to be someone who is so inspired into action that they can't help but create something. And the way that they move through life is to follow their sacral response, to follow what lights them up, to follow what they have energy for. They're very magnetic. They're the people that tend to be very easy to be around, especially when they're in alignment. They'll tend to be quite enthusiastic when they're in, in alignment. They'll be very joyous. And they're constantly in response. They're really actually here to respond to life. So even though we're taught by people like Tony Robbins to take massive action, for everyone but manifestors, we actually want to be in some form of response. We want to allow the universe to bring to us the things that we're there to respond to. Now, that doesn't mean that generators or any other type need to sit on their hands and wait for things to come. No, but you have to do the things that light you up. You have to follow that excitement, that joy, because then inevitably opportunities are going to come your way. And it's important because generators are setting the life force energy for the planet. So 
Think about it this way. In the past, generators have been the people who maybe did most of the work in manufacturing and sitting in offices and doing all of this sort of stuff. And if they're sitting in that environment doing something they don't love, they're generating that life force energy for the planet. So if you're a generator, you have to find what you love and go do it because the fact that you're lit up is not only serving and supporting you, it's serving and supporting those around you and the energy of the planet. Then we have manifesting generators who are the hybrid between the manifester and the generator. And they are primarily a generator, so they are also in response. They can't initiate because they have that really big energy like a manifester. They come across as being relatively superhuman sometimes, especially when they have quit making themselves small or they no longer believe that they're too much. They actually have lent into their too muchness and are like, yeah, I'm too much. I'm superhuman, man. Like, watch me go. And They're also a non-linear being. So if you're a manifesting generator, the odds are you're potentially multi-passionate. You want to do a bit of this, a bit of that. You may think that you, you may struggle with the whole concept that you feel like a quitter, that maybe you can never follow through with anything, but they do tend to learn faster and get out quicker when it comes to things like learning. They get what they need. They move on. How do they know what they need? Strategy and authority. And then we have projectors. So projectors are this almost like this new form of leader that's coming in. Our manifestors are kind of that old school leader, the masculine ruler, kind of heading for a goal, let's get this stuff done type leader. And not all manifestors these days lead that way. They lead and any type can be a leader. So don't get me wrong, but this kind of their energy versus the projector is this energy of the guide, the wise sage. I often use Yoda from Star Wars as an example. The thing with projectors though is that they're the kids that in they were in the classroom constantly putting their hand up to every question and the teacher was like, you know, no, Sally, let someone else have a go. Where really Sally, the projector, was the one that was there to be seen and the teacher wasn't seeing them. So they, they're on the planet to be seen and recognised for the wisdom that lies within them. Now, because... Unfortunately, we live in a society where, you know, it's competition. It's like the battle of the fittest, that sort of thing. Projectors don't tend to have as much energy as their generator and manifesting generator friends. So what happens is that they then try to force their wisdom onto people like, look at me, see me, listen to me. But it's the opposite. Our projectors really need to value the wisdom that lies within them. And then people are going to invite them in. They're going to bring them in. And then they become this really, really wise counsel. Then we have reflectors. And reflectors are like 1% of the population. They have uh, no definition within their design, meaning that as they move through life, they're reflecting back everything, all the energy that they're experiencing, the people, the places. They are incredibly connected to subtle energy. They can almost see the energy that's coming up ahead, whether that's the future, whether that's a you know different timeline, whatever it is, they can feel into the levels of energy that most people can't. They're also designed not to be put in a box, to be like pick something and live that way for the rest of your life. They are designed to very much ebb and flow depending on the people and the places that they're around. And ultimately, they're going to feel really comfortable when they're in a community, in an environment surrounded by people that makes them feel great because they're going to be reflecting back that energy. And it's almost like they they help the community or the business or whoever they're around say, okay, well, this is where we're at. This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing well. Maybe this is what we're not doing so well. This is where we need to improve. So they really help reflect back the truth of a place or people or a group or a community. So that's 
just a tiny overview of the five types. Yeah, that's just scratching the surface. Very interesting, especially as you were talking about manifesting generator. I do feel like I could resonate and a lot of my personality, I think, fits with that type. I did take a test also for my human design and it mentioned that, oh, they didn't give me actually the information on what it means to be a manifesting generator, but even from doing the test and seeing what the results were. And when I I did a little bit more reading, it did feel very much like my personality. And especially as I've grown more of an interest in this concept of manifesting and letting things naturally come to you, I've noticed personally in my own life, the most joyous moments and the moments where I feel in most alignment, nothing has been actively forced. Like I've allowed for my passions to dictate my day-to-day without necessarily a formal structure, but still having like that North Star vision. And as I continuously focus on that overarching goal, things naturally fall in my lap almost. And it's not without hard work. Of course, there's the intentionality behind it and the work and effort put to accomplish certain things. But I've noticed that the less hard I actually try, the more things end up working out. How does that happen? If we think about it in the context of maybe the type of being a manifesting generator or more broadly, your own philosophy on this? Well, the simple answer is it's the difference between being in flow and in resistance. You know, like when we have operated from the mind for hundreds of years, we've made it this almost this God, you know, the smartest person in the room is the best person in the room. It's all about operating from the mind. It's all about analysis, research, all of these things. And this is a very masculine way of seeing the world. Whereas the truth is the way energy works is that a lot of the time our mind is getting in the way of the flow state. It's getting in the way of who we really are, of the heart, of the soul, and more of the feminine energy being expressed. One of the fundamental pillars of human design is getting us out of the head and into the body. It's getting us out of the the subconscious mind that is operating from our conditioning. Our conditioning is something that is created between the ages of zero to seven. It creates our identity. So most adults are walking around as a zero to seven version of themselves. And this identity was created then to keep you safe, to keep you fed, to keep you loved, to keep you belonging. And at the end of the day, they're not the things that actually light our souls on fire. That's not our bliss. That's not our purpose. That's not our true love. So a large part of what you're talking about is it's this shift from the mind trying to create everything. You know, in the in the world of manifesting, like we talk a lot about, okay, what do you want? And then we need to understand the belief systems and we have to get rid of the blocks and we have to do da 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 And a lot of it is very, very mental. But when it comes down to it, and then you need to release all of it. You need to surrender to all of that and just know the way you want to feel and allow it to come to you. Well, human design is the ultimate practice of allowing because if you can fully trust your design, if you can fully surrender just to being led through life through your strategy and authority, then you're going to live in more of a flow state. You're going to minimize that resistance. And resistance is just fear. You know, it's just whatever the specific fear is, like, I don't know enough, I can't do this, I want to be seen, you know, I'm afraid of success, I'm afraid of failure, whatever it is. 
It's just a story that our subconscious mind has created to prevent us from changing. It's really that simple. So if we actually go back into the body, if we allow ourselves to be guided through strategy and authority, if we listen, and and one of my principles in transformational human design is like, you have to pay attention to the external clues because they don't lie. So if you have something in your life that keeps turning up and you're like, well, I've done all the work. I don't know why it keeps turning up. Well, it's turning up out there because it's in you. It's like with your human design, it really helps you take full responsibility. You're like, okay, cool. I really want to shift and change. This is turning up. Where can I see this in, in my design? Right. I need to heal this piece. Now, what's the highest potential of that energy? Because everything unresourceful that's turning up in our life it has a polar opposite that is resourceful. That's something that we potentially do want, or it's our superpower. So it really helps us to see, oh, wow, this is just a superpower that I'm using from fear instead of love. And if I stop trying to change myself or make myself wrong or judge myself, and I in fact heal whatever trauma or block or whatever is associated with that and realize that there's this higher potential and expression of this energy, then boom, I'm changing my behavior. I'm becoming a different person and things do come to you more easily. I know my entire business has been built basically off following my human design. That is so fascinating. And I can imagine that human design work is transformational across every single area of one's life. But where would you say people feel they get the most benefit out of this from? Is it in their career? Is it in their relationships, be it platonic or romantic? Is it in their own personal growth? Like, Where do you see these teachings and philosophies really help others feel that sense of alignment in their life? Wherever they apply it. So wherever they apply their design, wherever they live with their design, wherever they follow their strategy and authority, they will improve that area of their life. Like the goal is to be a whole being. Although we are very good at, you know, decompartmentalizing things and being, you know, that old story of like, wow, I'm really successful in business, but my relationships suck. What it really says is that in business, you trust yourself and you're living more in alignment and flow state. And in relationships, you still have pain and trauma that needs healing. So really anywhere that you apply your human design, like if you're trusting your design in relationships, you know, maybe you're going through, you don't know whether to break up with someone or to stay with someone and you just follow your strategy and authority. And maybe you even have an emotional authority. I've got emotional authority, for example. So I'm, you know, you'd be waiting for emotional clarity. So you don't make a decision until you have emotional clarity. Instead of feeling the pressure to make a decision because the mind tells you or society tells you or your partner tells you, it's like, nope, I'm going to follow my strategy and authority. I'm going to I'm going to listen to this thing that guides me to my highest truth, to my highest potential, my greatest love, all of those things. And then when I have the clarity, I'll move. When I know, I'll do it. You know, in your case, you're going to have more of a, a situation where if this was you, you're going through a relationship thing, it's going to be a very clear, uh-huh, I have I have energy for this or nah, I don't have energy for this. So it's it's like when you follow it, whatever part of your life you apply your design, you're going to change and transform that part of your life. I think people also have a very difficult time placing trust and faith in things that they cannot see or things that they just don't fully understand, myself included. And it goes back to this point you were talking about earlier, perhaps specific to the manifesting generator around really trusting that intuition. But how do we actually practice this concept of having trust in the things that we can't explain or we don't see yet. I like to think of that metaphor around a tree growing. 
It takes a tree a very long time to grow into what we see present day. But beneath the soil, the roots, there's so much happening under the surface that if we just trusted that was happening, that we would then see the tree, right, grow to its full potential. So if we think about our lives and our choices and our decisions in that way, how do we actually cultivate that sense of trust for our gut, for our instinct, for trusting that things happen naturally and in flow and in service to us rather than against us when there are difficult moments in life that feel like they're working actively against our best interests? Yeah, I love that. Great question. And ultimately, we just need to break down trust really simply. How do we trust something? Repetition. So at the end of the day, we are conditioned to trust what we see and we are conditioned not to trust what we can't see. And this goes back to a time where Isaac Newton made an agreement with the Catholic Church that science would only research matter. So the things that we can touch and feel that's in this 3D reality. So science was always focused on what you can see, but they wouldn't touch the things that you can't see because that was the realm of the church. Because otherwise the church would never let them study the things and research the things that they were researching, the things that they were coming to understand that would ultimately become things like quantum physics. So then the church took care of all the things that we don't see. Now, it built up a dogma around the things that we don't see that we now see through that people are moving away from the church. And, you know, it doesn't really matter whether you, you know, I'm not for it or against it. I don't really believe in right, wrong, good or bad. I really believe in resourceful or unresourceful. So the reason why we don't trust what we can't see is because we've been conditioned to do that. We've been conditioned to be that way. And that was me, you know, like before human design, I was like, I'm research driven, I'm results driven. And when I finally started, you know, I picked up human design or I was introduced to human design a number of times before I actually picked it up. And once I picked it up and I did the experiment, the thing for me, it was very black and white for me is if I get results, then I will continue to run with this experiment and this modality. And if I don't, then I won't, I'll just get rid of it. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what anyone tells you to do. Knowledge is just knowledge. It's not powerful. Like, you know, there's this whole knowledge is power. Well, it's not really power until you actually do it, until you actually integrate it, until it gets you the results. Otherwise, it's just sitting up here in this, you know, this knowledge mind blah. So how do you trust it? You experiment with it. You experiment and you find out if you get results. So for me, very early on in the beginning, I was living by strategy and authority. I got an insight, a download that they told me I had to change the name of my podcast to the Human Design Podcast. My ego went mental. It's like, you can't do that. Who are you? You don't know enough, blah, 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 blah. You know, all of that, that voice that we all have. And I was like, I don't care. I'm running my human design experiment. And I'm a manifesting generator, so I can't act on a download. I wrote it down in my journal. Next day, I'm on the phone to a mentor and he says, you need to start a podcast on human design because there's no good ones out there. And I was like, boom, there's my strategy and authority right there. I've got clarity. I'm a go. So I got results straight away. So if you want to learn to trust yourself, then you want to pay attention to the results that you're getting. The challenge is, and this was me because for so long, I wanted to align to my intuition. I wanted to know my intuition. I wanted to have all these experiences that all these other people had. And at the end of the day, once all that studying and learning and training was done, I was like, oh, 
wow, this has been operating since I could ever remember. Like I've been able to connect with energy and, you know, people have crossed over and angels and all of these things my entire life. I just almost categorized it differently. And I I wasn't even disregarding it. I just assumed everyone else felt that way. So at the end of the day, we have to build evidence for the brain because if the brain has evidence, then you're going to trust it more. Okay. So the two things that you want to do when it comes to building trust in your human design or your intuition or the things that you can't see is you want to pay attention to the results and then you want to record those results. So, you know, I've just told you the story about the podcast. Once I changed the name of my podcast to the human design podcast, I don't know what happened. Like I didn't market it. I didn't do anything. It just took off. So that was enough evidence for me. And then I just continued to put that evidence down in my journal, made sure that my brain didn't delete it because that's what our brain will do. It'll delete, distort and generalize. Like if you have a belief that uh, I don't really believe or I'm not really sure about the things that I can't see, then every time something miraculous happens or something you know, energetic happens, your brain's going to delete evidence of it. It's just going to get rid of it because it doesn't support your belief system. It doesn't fall into your belief system. So that's why we have to build evidence. So through the frame of human design is... I always tell all my clients, like you want to journal every day. If you're picking up human design to help you in the business and you're actively practicing your strategy and authority, then you're writing down at the end of the day, I'm grateful for blah, blah, blah happening because I followed my strategy, because I followed my authority. You're giving the brain the evidence and building the trust because trust only comes from consistency. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. Trust is about knowing that whatever it is or whoever it is or however it works, it's there when you need it. That's what trust is. That was such a beautiful response, genuinely. And I think it also challenged me to think about trust in a different way. And it it makes sense when you break it down in a neuroscience level, because our brains will make these logical conclusions based off of evidence that we can see. But oftentimes, like you mentioned, if a piece of evidence or something that happens in your life doesn't fit with your pre-existing belief structure, you're not going to actively attend to that. So you'll forget about it, which is also why I love the practice of gratitude journaling, writing down things. And it does take that extra effort to constantly remind yourself that certain things have happened in your life that will help you build that trust. But I think it's a great practice to do. And I've even noticed for myself, and I don't know if this has been your own personal experience, but the less I actually trust myself, the more I then worry as a byproduct. And the worrying is hypothesizing about future events that haven't even happened and that have the potential to not even happen. And so I then create this negative energy within myself And then I act weirdly, like there's just something off. And so if we can learn to shorten that time in which you linger in that space of the rumination and whatnot, like if you can react to that faster and course correct quicker, I think it actually strengthens that mental muscle of building trust in your life. Yeah. Well, trust is like, if you want to trust something, you have to start with trusting yourself. Like, 
as within, so without. We cannot create anything in our external reality that we don't have in our internal world. So we have to trust. If you want trust, then you have to trust yourself. And that starts with keeping the promises that you make. You know, like if you say you're going to the gym, you go to the gym. If you say you're going to journal, then you journal. You make sure that you keep the promises that you make to yourself and trust is fundamental. The other thing I want to respond to on that as well is like, we need to understand that we are not our thoughts. We are not our thoughts. We are the witness of our thoughts. We are the one watching. We are the one seeing these things move through our head. Now, the thoughts themselves, they're just patterns. They're just patterns. They're just things that are, that are decisions that we've made in the past that have turned into these patterns and wasting our time trying to solve these patterns. They're never going to be solved because the ego, the fear in you that is actually, it's there to keep you safe is just going to find another way around. It's never going to be solved. It's, it's not something to be solved. So when we start to understand that there are other ways that we need to be guided, that we can be guided, that it can be simple and easy, and that we like a negative banter in your head is just a defense mechanism for your ego. Your ego is trying to keep you safe. It's trying to prevent you from changing. So it's going to tell you all of these stories. Now, remember the ego also has access to all your deepest, darkest fears. So it's just going to keep bringing out, you know, whatever you need to hear from the bag of goodies that's going to keep you staying the same. So ultimately, whenever we want to change our behavior in any way, we have to understand that that's going to come up. The thoughts are going to come up. The beliefs are going to come up. You know, and so many people that I work with, they come to me and they're like, oh my God, I'm doing my shadow work. I'm doing this. And I'm like, it's powerful stuff, but you're putting all your attention on presupposition that in some way you're broken, that in some way there's something wrong with you and you cannot move forward without fixing it. And it's not true. It's just not true at all. Like the most imperfect people can have great I mean, look at Steve Jobs, for goodness sake. He built this amazing brand, this incredible product. You know, Apple's fundamentally changed planet Earth. And then look at his relationships. He's not perfect, but he still had the ability to override that voice in his head when it came to business. So this is the thing we have to understand is like our thoughts are not who we are. We are not our thoughts. We are the witness of our thoughts. And when we can sit in this place where well, I'm going to listen to my heart. And again, HeartMath have done so much research on this. It's really easy to bring yourself into heart-brain cohesion. Again, you know, Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about this a lot and get answers from the heart. Like this is much more powerful than the mind. So human design is all about that, like getting out of the head. And don't get me wrong, the head also has like the think, our potential for thinking. And we have so much wisdom up there. But when it comes to the mind, as soon as we're, like applying thinking to ourselves, we've lost the power. We're giving the power away. When we start to listen to the body, when we listen to our internal guidance system, when we know how to pay attention to what I call the external clues, then all of a sudden it doesn't matter what fear says to us. We're just like, oh yeah, hey old friend, I see that you have an opinion, but I'm going to keep moving towards my dreams. And once you can master the art of truly being a witness to your thoughts and not letting them overtake you and recognizing that you simply are not your thoughts, you are that third-party observer, I think you're forced to reckon with because you then bring the power back to yourself. And of course, it's so much harder to practice than to, to talk about, but I do think it requires a conscious effort every day to strengthen that ability to not fall victim to the thoughts that you cannot control because that's just how our minds are programmed. 
you know, if we go back to evolution, probably for survival mechanisms. So if we can learn to really de-identify from the thoughts that do arise and through practices like mindfulness and whatnot, and recognize that sometimes there will be unpleasant thoughts that come about, but that doesn't mean that your, your mood or your state needs to change entirely. I think that's when there's so much power, when you're able to be unbothered by whatever thought crosses your mind or, or crosses your path. I think all of this really does tie back into a broader philosophy on happiness and leading a healthy life and living in alignment, as you describe with your your mind and your heart and your mind and your body. And as we wrap up this evening and your morning, Emma, the, the final question I would love to ask you on my podcast is a question that I ask every guest on the show. And it ties into the theme of endorphins and finding joy and you know the most mundane moments of life. So with that being said, what is something that brings you a bit of endorphins every day? Wow. Uh, well, I'm a manifesting generator, so I'm going to have more than one answer to that. And look, so much of it for me has to do with sunshine, movement, and family. So I'm a very active person. Every morning I'm up, I go and walk this hike that we've got literally just outside our door, which is stunning. See the whales at the moment, the dolphins, like it's so beautiful. Standing in the sun, I live by the beach, lying in the sand, swimming in the ocean. And then I suppose the other thing that is just so important to me is family. And that's my my actual family, but that's also my business team. They're my family. My friends are my family. So really, I've created an entire life of endorphins being, you know, I can get up in the morning and I'm getting my dopamine hit in resourceful ways, you know, not via Instagram. So yes, it's been via my human design, I've been able to create an entire life where I feel really supported with joy and happiness and fulfillment every day. I love that. And something I've been thinking a bit about, and I know we're recording this in September, the episode won't go live likely for a few more months, but September is my birthday month. And I thought to myself, okay, my birthday's on the 20th. So that'll be the day that I celebrate. But then I thought to myself, number one, that puts too much pressure on my birthday for it to be a perfect day. And number two, why can't literally every single day be some form of celebration? Why can't we live life every day and view it as a celebration? Being grateful to be alive, being grateful for all the experiences that you know we can have. And so I love that you said that you've been able to create a life filled of endorphins because something I'm trying to do right now is the same, is create an internal ecosystem of pure joy and love so that every day does feel like a celebration in a non-traditional sense. So your answer really resonated with me. I loved what you had to share. And I feel like I learned so much about human design. And I really do think my listeners and whoever's tuning in right now, there's a lot that you can take away from what Emma just had to share. So thank you again. It was such a pleasure having you on the podcast. Where can my listeners follow along with all of your content and also stream your podcast as well. Yeah, sure. So um, thank you so much for having me. It's just been an absolute blast. And I love what you said as well. You know, I think one of my highest values and it's something that I think like if you want to pick something up to feel good on the inside all the time, it's just having one of your values be reverence. You know, like every day I wake up, I open my eyes and I revere life 
itself. You know, like I just freaking get to do this every day. This is brilliant. Even on the hard days. And trust me, I've had some really hard days. So where people can find me, my website is emmadunwoody.com. If you love the sound of human design, please go to the website, get your free chart. We'll send it over to you. And if you get your chart with us, we've actually set it up. So we have a bunch of resources that are drip fed to you. So you don't get overwhelmed by human design. It's all specific to your design so that we can really help you integrate, which is really our goal, because what's the point in having this amazing knowledge if you can't actually live by it because you're overwhelmed by all the information. So you can do that. And then you can go over to the podcast, which is the human design podcast, where I break down all the parts of the chart. I talk a lot to transformational human design, which is my model where I've integrated transformational coaching, the gene keys, human design and intuition. Yeah. You can find me on Instagram as the human design coach. There's some underscores in there, but if you just look up Emma Dunwoody, you'll find me. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Emma. It was such a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Everyday Endorphins. If you liked what you heard, make sure to like, rate, and review this podcast on whichever platform you prefer. You can also follow along the Everyday Endorphins Instagram account to stay up to date with episodes, future events, and all things related to mental health, well-being, and happiness. Don't forget to keep spreading endorphins and find things in life that bring you joy every day. Until next time.